and welcome to Cancrea, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. And uh, what a great week we have up for you today. We have managed to actually record this week. It was a bit of a struggle last week. Uh, hopefully people weren't too upset with my dulcet tones. Uh-huh. Next week, uh, for the next four weeks now, we will be recording using Zoom. So you'll be for, we, uh, we won't be recording in person, you know, until May. Oh, my God. All right. Well, let's dive into it, because later on today, we do have an interview with Osmel, uh, the executive director of Capital Pride in Ottawa, the nation's capital. Uh, in it, we talk about a, a wide ranging number of topics, uh, adjusting to a post-pandemic uh, reality, uh, or rather, how do you have another a second uh, parade with, uh, with lockdown measures? potentially in place hopefully not because of course capital pride takes place in august uh, but of course you can't plan on having everyone there because we don't know where we're going to be in august so we touch on that a little bit and we also talk about how capital pride is committed to addressing systemic racism within the organization um, and within the community and as a whole um, and that kind of ties into the coverage we've done recently of london uk pride but before we get into that let's cover a couple of canadian stories so i think kathleen Wynne, the former premier of ontario was given a bit of a rough deal oh yeah i mean don't get me wrong her liberal government certainly made many decisions that i think were (sighs) sigh at the very least they they would deserve a sigh i remember actually during the last provincial election most of the people that I spoke to said that if there is a way to vote for Kathleen Wynne, but not the liberals, they would have done that. But that's not how it works. So they voted her out. Yeah. And I think I the liked fact her. That she was the first, um, I don't know if she was the first female premier, but the fact that she was the first sort of openly gay premier uh, yeah. in the province of Ontario, I think certainly came back up. Like people were not happy about that. And it certainly was uh, uh, a bone of contention. Yeah. And I just think I think her her openness and her sexuality, unfortunately, did play a bit of a role. Yeah, and don't oversell it. Like most people didn't notice, didn't care. It was just a, a very, very, very vocal minority who were unfortunately a thorn in her side. Well, one individual who was particularly vocal and definitely rather thorny on the issue. was David Popescu. Now, David Popescu has run as a municipal candidate in Sudbury, Ontario, uh, a couple of times, as well as uh, he's run in uh, for the federal, for a member of parliament seat. He believed Uh that he, well, he was was convinced, uh, according to court documents, that he was speaking and communicating the word of God about homosexuals to the public, and right. God was condemning them to be put to death. Not him, not mm-hmm. him, but God. Okay. okay. Uh, so he claimed to be speaking the words of God when he was urging people to put Kathleen Wynne to death. Okay. Okay. Now that is a, uh, that, that's what we call a, uh, uh, oh, delusion. Uh, mm, I was going to say a call to action. That's a classic call to action, isn't it? But he has now been uh, sentenced to 30 days in jail and I think two years uh, of probation. He's just serving a suspended sentence for calling 
for the, oh, sorry, in 2009, he was serving a suspended sentence for calling for the execution of homosexuals. Okay. Uh, in 2015, he was then uh, arrested on a very similar charge, but it was uh, withdrawn. And then just this past week, he was sentenced for 30 days in jail uh, and a year of probation for inciting hatred, uh, specifically calling for Kathleen Wynne's death. Here's, okay. Okay, so I, I really do believe that we need to give people second chances. There needs to be a way forward. People need forgiveness. People need, you know, to, to move beyond who they used to be. But I also think there should be like a window where if you've been to prison this many times for hate speech, maybe you should be, let's say, strongly discouraged for running for office. Like, I, I don't understand how this happened. It's kind of alarming. So the judge, the Ontario Court Justice Heather Mendes, found uh, obviously Popescu guilty of promoting hatred, but did note, and this is actually what you were touching on a little earlier, Sebastian, did note that someone's freedom of expression is not protected when you're promoting violence and yeah. inviting people to act in a violent manner. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. you know, this reminds me of when we were talking about uh, the hate preacher uh, Dor Love, who was preaching hate in Vancouver um, and led to a man's leg being broken. Uh, it turns out that the police in that case did not consider that they were inciting violence, even though the rhetoric was, in, you know, virile and, and awful and but no i mean as vile as that man is he he may have stepped shy of inciting actual violence but it right. turns out that popescu doesn't seem to have the same quabbles with uh, the letter of the law <laughs> or crossing lines absolutely yeah well i mean i think this is an interesting story because Every now and then, and I think you mentioned this in the break, uh, Seb, every now and then we get a story where some vile thing happens. And the question is, why isn't this a hate crime? Yeah. Well, this is a very good example of when it would be. Yeah, yeah. This is what it looks like. When we get back, uh, actually later in the show, we will be talking about Australia and Russia and even Poland. So a bit of an international blitz at the end of the show. In the meantime, we're going to be playing the first track, which is Something Better by Diaphany. Oh, yeah, I liked this one a lot. And then uh, following that, we will have Jen Newcomb's uh, Out for Blood. I was actually really excited to see this new track from Jen Newcomb, who is a Filipino-Canadian singer-songwriter based in Toronto. She, it was, um, uh, this was the one who played the, the steel string guitar, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, she was also very good. Very different way, but yeah, I liked her. So we'll be back just after this. I come in the front door and you go out the back It's a wholehearted laugh When I think about it We're both running from what we can't know we both want And we both want to want the same thing we don't When are we gonna talk openly about what we're doing? When are we gonna do something more than just screwing? in my head 
try to see through the dark But the glass isn't clear Why can't we look ahead, see the end of the line Instead we stumble back most Most of the time What are we gonna talk openly about what we're doing? What are we gonna do something more than just screwing around? Cause I think I've found something better They called it Gay Day and billed it as the first Canadian homosexual rally. A driving rain dampened the protesters but knocked their enthusiasm as they demonstrated in support of homosexual grievances. They say amendments to the criminal code two years ago legalized their sexual relations but did little to alleviate the oppression of homosexuals in everyday life. They chanted slogans such as two, four, six, eight, gay is just as good as straight. Some of their placards bore evidence of a campy style of humor. Signs like, support your local monarch, hire a queen. But it was a humor obviously born of bitterness. Bitterness at what they feel is oppression at the hands of a heterosexual Even society. Even today, Canadian homosexuals are having their careers ruined, being kicked out of their churches, having their children taken away from them, and being assaulted in the streets of our own city. What have we done to deserve this? Love, that's all we have done. All we want to do is love persons of the same sex and live our lives as we decide for ourselves. We're fed up with the lack of basic respect due all human beings. We're fed up with having to hide to preserve our jobs. We're fed up with having to hide to preserve our own freedom. The homosexuals are demanding such things as an end to discrimination in the Immigration Act, equal right to government employment, including the armed forces, an end to homosexuality as grounds for divorce, and in divorce, equal right to child custody. And they want public officials to work actively to end all other forms of discrimination against them. Gay is proud. Gay is good. Let's say it wherever we go. Gay power. Hello and welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. Sebastian's not here for this quick interview, but just before I dive into it, we just heard the CBC's archive uh, footage. Well, we, we didn't see it. We obviously heard it because this is radio. But the archive footage of the original We Demand um, uh, protest uh, almost 50 years ago. And what's interesting is la 10 years ago, the Village Project in Ottawa did a bit of a follow-up documentary where folks at the sign, this was just another Tuesday. This was just another in a long line of constant demands and, and trying to push for rights that it never really occurred to folks in the pouring rain, in the middle of, <laughs> in the middle of Ottawa, the sort of impact and significance. And what really jumped out of me from the, the village's uh, take on this, uh, the, the village historical um, project, 
is when somebody noted that, you know, this was just another Tuesday and it wasn't their day to day. It was, but, you know, on looking back, people seem to be rather shaken by, by this protest. And that brings me to the guest that I have in front of me. Thank you so much, Osmil, for, for joining me. We have on the line <laughs> Capital Pride's first executive director, your brand spanking new in the job. How are you finding it so far? <laughs> um, I love it. It's actually really, really good. Uh, we've met great people uh, in the community and actually work with great organizations. So yeah. This year, Capital Pride has, just like many other prides from coast to coast to coast, have had to continue to adapt to yeah. a new reality. Uh, as far as we could tell, the only Canadian pride that wasn't forced into an online alternative uh, was PEI. <laughs> because they, good just, on them. <laughs> they had managed to lock it down i know uh, and, and right? they were good so i wanted yeah. to go there and dance on the streets with them but we, you know we, could, we couldn't travel that much they so. wouldn't let you in the bubble <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> well how did you find it how did you find looking back at 2020 mm -hmm. that sort of bombshell moment in sort of march april may when all around the world prides were shuttering their doors well, for me, uh, one thing I always said uh, is that pride is not cancelled. Pride can never be cancelled. Uh, I went in with that um, idea or with that mythology with, with the fact that I'm going to find a way to make sure that folks within our communities continue to celebrate their truth uh, and celebrate it here in the National Capital Region. Um, one thing that I saw is that various folks were starting to go through the paces in terms of having a virtual pride, like for instance, um, London, London Pride, which is in the UK and whatnot, and a few folks in the United States. And so I said, well, you know, at the same time, it, it, it would be substantial for us to do that as well. Uh, we, we got the information out in March. So a year ago to a year ago around well last month <laughs> would have been when we sent out that information to tell folks, hey, you know what, what is more important is that we keep the folks within our community safe. And so because of that, we want to continue to have pride. I know some unfortunately some folks weren't able to move forward with that pride, but we wanted to ensure that that happened here. Uh, and so with that said, uh, we went and um, had uh, wherever we are <laughs> um, pride uh, summer virtual festival. Now, this may have actually worked out to benefit uh, the National Capital Pride. Just for those who aren't familiar with, uh, with Ottawa, Ottawa is one of the most physically large cities in Canada, if not the physically largest city, because it is very much stretched out uh, beyond belief. It takes at least half an hour to get from one end to the other of just downtown, mm -hmm. uh, and that's driving. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I wonder if, you know, what you may have sort of inadvertently done is made this city's Pride Festival more accessible because if you're out in Carp or, you know, you're out in the, the rural fringes of the city, yeah. uh, as long as you have an internet connection, you can participate. Yeah, and, and, and that's what, to me, was one of the grandest thing about it, is that we promoted an accessibility and access to folks who are not able to participate in Pride. But not only that, but even folks who are still in the closet and are just like, you know, I just don't want people to know, but I, I want to experience it and give them the incentive of, you know, coming out eventually. But not only that, but we've also ended up um, having 
access to folks within not only international capital region, as you stated, but also outside. So in the nation, in the nation alone, and also internationally, um, I was actually happy to to know that there's a, a lot of African nations and Caribbean nations that were able to send us in send us emails saying, "Wow, you know, it was great. Um, we finally got a taste of what Pride is." Because in many cases, folks, you would see like little clips of what Pride is on the news and whatnot. But in this case, we were able to demonstrate and we were able to showcase what pride is to folks who are still having that urge and that feeling of living their life and finding ways of coming into Canada, which is, was one of the uh, one of the uh, um, demands that was asked is that folks that folks who are coming here for refuge, uh, LGBTQ folks can get that refuge. And so this is one thing that we want to continue having. So yeah, it was able to we were able to have an accessibility or access to folks um, this this time around. Now, there's definitely a significant almost responsibility for the, the, the nation's capital uh, and the pride community here. I mean, if we uh, just, you know, two things. First of all, you know, Ottawa is one of the most prominent destinations for uh, incoming uh uh, immigrant communities. It's sort of yeah. it's, it's sort of a go-to hub. If you open up a, a map of Canada, <laughs> Ottawa is always on there. You know, so exactly. it's uh, it's a popular a popular entry point into mm -hmm. Canadian society. So, yeah. do you feel a certain responsibility because of that? I do actually. Um... So I, I myself am well, used to be an immigrant. I'm, for, I'm originally from the Dominican Republic, uh, but I was raised in uh, a small island called Antigua and Barbuda. I didn't come up in refugee status or anything like that or claimant. I came up as, um, you know, uh, I went to Carleton University. And so I came up as an international student. But at the same time as I came up as an international student, I also dealt with my insecurities of being uh, part of the, uh, the queer community. And so that's something that I needed to ensure that um, I have access and that I can live my my truth. And once you have that, you want to ensure that you share that with everybody else. Um, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of folks don't understand, but like within my background, which is both Black and Latin um, or Latino, as they would say, um, homosexuality is not something that is like solely accepted because of either your background is so heavily divulged in the church or whatnot. So it's it's hard for folks who look like me to come out. Um, but I wanted to make sure that this is something that, that, that happens. Um, a lot of folks don't know, but Ottawa is the third largest populated um, city that has uh, people of color, especially black people. And so in many cases, again, as, as you stated, yeah, like a lot of folks do come to Ottawa um, from different type of nations and, and they want to participate and, and, and feel like they're home. Uh, when, once I came out here, um, I mean, I came out in Toronto, but once I was here and I, I was able to, you know, live my life and uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because if I remember correctly, I believe I saw a, I've looked over your strategic plan, yes. uh, which is very encouraging to see, uh, you know, an organization such as Capital Pride have a strategic plan that, you know, that you're accountable to the community yes. um, as a result of that. But under the, the, the plan for celebrating, you have increased board and staff diversity in terms of race, identities and abilities by 50%. It's there in writing. I can quote you in a year and see, you know, <laughs> where are you at? And I bring this up because over the last couple of weeks, we've been covering the ongoing um situation with London Pride. It was interesting you mentioned London Pride earlier, the, mm -hmm. the London UK 
pride uh, and the massive fallout from allegations of, uh, of systemic racism with that organization in London, UK. Uh, every Tom, Dick and Harry is, has been chiming in on that. Um, you know, so how important is it to you? I mean, obviously it's important. It's in your strategic plan. Yeah. But can you, can you expand on how important it is for well, you to, to broadly represent Ottawa and all the folks inside it? Well, again, I, it, for me, I always stated like in every single organization, like diversity and inclusion should be the n number one um, aspect of everything that is done. Like I am a black man, I'm, I'm a black Latino man. And for me, I, I expect to work with folks who are part of the community. I'm like the, our community is always showcased in the media as white cisgendered men. And that's not the case. I mean, like people of color have done so much for the queer liberation movement. Um, and in many cases, we do see folks try to unfortunately um, whitewash it. Um, and so in many cases, yeah, it's like um, when we put that into our strategic plan is to state that this is who we are as a people. This is, this is the people that we represent. We don't only represent white cisgendered males. Um, and so this is, this is why for me, I think it's for myself and for the board, it's important that we place the voices of folks who looks like us or who uh, are part of, who are part of our communities and can continue part, being part of our communities. In many cases, we've heard so much false nonsense about, oh, like, oh, well, these type of people are not really queer or not, or this kind of, a bunch of nonsense. And so for me, again, it's like, no, like this is, this is the real world. Like folks need to have that, push and folks need to have that uh, work, especially if they're part of the community. As I said before, it was hard for me to come out as queer because again, I am a black man, but for the fact that when you come out, there's so many folks who are like me who don't have that voice or don't have that privilege of getting that voice. And so, yes, this is why we want to ensure that um, anti, um, systemic racism, anti-black racism, um, anti-racism, um, are out of are out of our organizations and should be out of all pride organizations. Pride organizations should be there to represent every single person within their communities, not some, and then expect that you don't get a backlash off of it, off of it when you don't do the work, right? Absolutely. I think this is something that for the past few years, uh, pride organizations across this country mm -hmm. they, they have really been forced to, to take seriously to, and and rightly so absolutely rightly so now one of the th I want to circle back to the theme and I wonder how this sort of ties into the the we demand and we still demand yeah. um, just for those who aren't familiar the we demand protests uh, 50 years almost uh, to to the the day and uh, well, not exactly the day but 50 years this year uh, mm -hmm. was essentially a, a long list of the, the, the gays of Ottawa and the Toronto gays. And <laughs> I will tell you, all the footage seems to be predominantly white gay men of a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it was funny because I was looking at some of the archival media coverage and it was a landmark protest. It had about 125 people. You know, if you think about the scale of protests now, um, you know, the anti-racism protests, the... Uh, the environmental protests, we're talking thousands of people yeah. uh, participate. Actually, even uh, Ottawa Pride in 2019 had 2,500 people uh, <laughs> marching in there. If we count that as a protest, who, see, who knows? But mm -hmm. I think the world today is far more different than it was 50 years ago. 
you know, earlier this year, we were talking to Minister Chagov, the Minister for Diversity and Youth, about the federal government's funding of LGBT organizations, including 280 odd thousand for Capital Rainbow Refuge and 330 odd thousand for uh, Justice Trans, both of them Ottawa based organizations. This is huge money. Yeah. yeah, big money going in to support the community. So it kind of begs the question what are these demands? What are these? What are we still demanding when we seem to be getting equal rights, financial support? What's left on the table? So again, it, it, exactly what you said earlier when we spoke, it's is, is the fact that we have a lot of people of color who are still living in the or still inside a closet. We have a lot of trans men and trans women who are still not able to have um, the rights as folks within the LGB community. <laughs> Just have to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Um, and, and because of that is that we still have a long way to go. Like there's many cases where discrimination is still on the uh, is still on the floor for trans folks, especially trans uh, uh, black trans women. Um, also for anti in terms of anti-black racism within um, pride within pride communities, when I say pride communities, I mean LGBTQ2S plus IA communities. And so in many cases, we still have that. We still see in many, um, as black queer folks or black folks are still being harassed and being harassed by police officers. Um, and in many cases is that it, these are the things that we keep that is, is still happening. I mean, just with the demands, a letter was also sent in um, stating those things um, in terms of police harassment and exploitations, pressure to conform, uh, which is denies sexualities. But not only that, but the idea of, yes, in Canada, we have the idea, we have the motive of getting married and having that right. But at the same time, there's still folks who are out there who are still trying to disseminate that each and every day. It's like, I remember once I heard that, oh, don't worry, um, with a particular, it was a particular political party at the time. Oh, we will not touch, we will not touch on uh, marriage equality again. And yet I keep seeing more and more folks each and every day continues to find ways of dismantling it. Um, we see out in BC where we have various folks who attack um, trans kids, not only in BC, but here as well. We also see the, the um, a few years ago with the sex, the sex curriculum at schools being reversed to God knows when. And again, these are the demands that we still have on the table. It's like, okay, well, we are people too. We, we should have the right and we still have a demand, the right to get married without discrimination. We still demand the right to have our voices heard and we still demand the rights to live as who we are and to live our truth here in this, um, in this large nation, in this beautiful nation, in our own cities, in our own homes. And so, yeah, this is why we decided, okay, well, one thing about this is also space. We demand a space to be who we are as ourselves. And so this is why we decided, okay, well, this year we have this space, which is pride, to ensure that folks understand that this is where we're going with, with, the, with the demands. Not only that, but it's the 50th anniversary of the, of the We Demand um, protests, uh, the August 28th would make 50th anniversary. And we're hoping to do something big. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we'll have over, <laughs> we, we probably won't surpass the amount that was initially had, which was 120, <laughs> or the 2,500 that we had back in, 20, in, back in 2016. 
But what we'll do is that we're ensuring that we'll at least have it uh, visually for folk, virtually for folks to see it across the world. And this is something that I think is important to, to so that folks can understand that Canada is still, though we are a haven for LGBTQ plus people, we still have a lot more to go. When we are still condemning, and I, I keep saying this, but when we are condemning trans kids, when we're saying whether a trans child should use a certain bathroom or a trans person should use a certain bathroom or, or whatnot, like where where are we continuing with these conversations? Like where are they going? Like what I, like my dad loves to say, what is the end goal? Mm. Is the end goal is to, is to dismantle who we are as LGBTQ folks, or is the end goal is just to satisfy a certain type of people who wants to attack LGBTQ rights? I'm going to zoom in on Ottawa for just a moment. Uh, hopefully, our listeners will will bear with me. But this is the <laughs> this is your your patch, as it were, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the Canadian stage. Um, you know, it's quite interesting. In the within the last week, we talked about how there was homophobic hate graffiti placed uh, outside or very near to the home of the uh, longest running mayor in Ottawa's history, uh, Mayor Jim Watson, who uh, we were lucky enough to interview shortly after he came out in 2019. What is your role as, you know, the as Capital Pride in the city of Ottawa in terms of, you know, not just the parade and, and the festival, but sort of LGBT life in the city as a whole? Do you feel a, a responsibility or the need to, to take any action? Yeah, we have we have the responsibility of to educate, celebrate, and advocate for folks here um, in the nation's capital. Um, again, uh, I always want to put, and I always will put folks within my community first, um, and their rights are always important to me, and, and not only for me, but for the folks who are part of our board. Um, each and every day, we all work together to ensure that we hold folks accountable. Um, you were just talking about the mayor. Um, I did speak on on behalf of what was occurring. And again, it's like, what I think would, what is needed is a more, uh, more training. So more queer competency, more trans competency training, more anti-Black racism um, training, more anti-racism training, in total more anti-oppression training that is needed in the city, not only for, um, you know, organizations, but also for schools, for churches, just because again, if we are to, if we are here to live together and to live in a community, uh, to uphold a community that is that's supposed to be the best in Canada, then we need to ensure that folks abide by this. It's like, I, it's, it's the same, like, I can't come, like, you wouldn't want me to come to your home and just say something crappy about your, how, you know, how your home looks and whatnot. So then why do you think it's necessary for you to come to my home outside my home or even in my neighborhood to do, to write something so uh, degrading. And so this is why Capital Pride, we performed, um, we're not just a festival that we only, you only see us maybe on the summer, during the summer Pride Festival, or you only see us during the winter festival. Um, when I say advocate and educate is because we actually have year long programming that we provide folks, um, uh, just, just to do a little plug right now. We actually have an educate series of workshops that's happening next week and we, and it's all for free. 
Uh, so folks can actually come to our website, uh, www.capitalpride.ca, and you can register uh, for these workshops that are um, focused on disability awareness, focus on trans and non-binary folks, focusing on two-spirited folks, uh, 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 senior initiatives, and also gender affirming wear. So we provide the information and we, we try to make any everything that we do so accessible for folks that there's no excuse of not knowing what's going on. But not only that, but we also work with various organizations within the, within the city, such as Max Ottawa and Kindspace and Wisdom to Action, where they can actually provide those trainings for folks who, folks who actually really need it. And this is why I say like, we're not here as just a festival. We're here more than that. We do more than that. We want to provide um, a better experience for folks living uh, within uh, Canada and especially here in the national capital region. You know, pride organizations have always held this role as uh, sort of the central linchpin. The, it is literally the, the place of protest, the mm -hmm. place of celebration, the, the, the point of where the community gathers. Uh, tens of thousands of people in Ottawa gather uh, for Capital Pride. So, you know, hearing and seeing these educational series where you're brokering the incredible talents uh, that exist and, and, and knowledge that exists in our community and sort of making them more broadly available to those who may only, you know, have a passing uh, contact with Pride um, is definitely quite, quite admirable and certainly a, a path forward for all prides in, in mm -hmm. Canada. I know that uh, uh, the Canadian prides across the country are looking at different ways of how to engage the community yes. around, not just uh, not just over the summer season. Exactly. Now, <laughs> I am I am very encouraged by the, the commitments made by yourself and the board through the uh, strategic plan, which is also available on your website. Folks yes, should <laughs> poke around and take a look. I think it gives a good uh, it gives a good roadmap of where things to go. My yes. last question for you is: 2021 is an, is another pan pandemic year. Mm -hmm. and we can't we can't get away from that. Um, is is Capital Pride doing okay? We're doing, I would love to say that we're doing great. <laughs> um, and the reason why I say it like that is because I feel that in 2020, we didn't know how to navigate around a virtual, uh, in terms of having a virtual parade and a virtual pride. But once, but once the the dust settled we found that we had one of the we had one of the best of virtual prides in the country and so and, and that's because we had some excellent staff and we had excellent board members who all contributed to this and of course myself <laughs> but <laughs> that be, that be, uh, being that said is that it now allows us to have the idea of what to expect moving forward i'm not gonna lie to many folks i was a i was really hoping that you know we'll have this magical vaccine and i say magical vaccine because it's a vaccine that i think would probably help a lot of folks that we would have it in time for a, a, you know an in-person festival unfortunately um my hat is a hat that i have to put on I said my hat, sorry. My head is a head that I have to put on two different hats, a reality hat and a hat that's that states, okay, well, what is what is our future plans? And so with that, that's why we went forward with another um, virtual pride with hopefully a few in-person events that we, that we will be um, having. But at the end of the day, um, it's so weird because I was actually speaking to a friend of mine when I said, is it weird that I'm already planning for Pride 2022, where I already have like 
all these in-person events and I'm just like bursting to, to, to just showcase it. But I'm like, but you know, I digress. Let's just finish off 2021 <laughs> and ensure that it's a great, it's a great um, pride as, a, as it says, we still demand on a encore. And so we want to continue ha- making folks aware of like, you know, this is your pride. Like we want to make sure that you folks are, are comfortable. We want to make sure you folks are entertained and educated. We have a great lineup that's coming up. Uh, we did our launch on Tuesday, uh, last week, Tuesday, April 6th. And we will be sending out some more calendar events and whatnot later on in the, in the coming months. Well, I think for all of our listeners from coast to coast to coast, no matter where you are, the mm-hmm. great benefit of all of these prides being online in 2021 means that you could be in Nelson, BC and still have a bit of a taste of what's happening in yes. the nation's capital. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you for and, having me. discuss this. <laughs> yes. uh, we'll be back to the studio, back to the studio, back to me and Sebastian just after this. What a kill to be kind When do we begin to undermine Being polite We're taking our time in silent protest What's left to defend When all our defenses are less than eloquent
and welcome back to Cangria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am still Sebastian. And that was Out for Blood by Jen Newcomb. So um, I mentioned earlier, sort of teased, that we might be touching on uh, Poland. Now, it turns out uh, the New York Times recently did a bit of an in-depth story with the mayor of Krasnik, Poland. Mm. So Krasnik, Poland, two years ago, um, became the first LGBT-free zone. Mm-hmm. And we talked on and off about these LGBT free zones ever since, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been an ongoing story for sure. So, according to the the mayor, Mayor Wilk of uh, Krasnik, he thought that this was an easy win. You know, it's a somewhat rural, a pretty religious community. Uh, they want a symbolic. We don't want any LGBT ideology statement. Um, you know, it's not legally binding in any way. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just the local councillors making a statement, which happens so many times in so many local municipalities, yep. that he saw this as an easy win to sort of placate the most religious and conservative in the community. Yeah, it's sort of the the municipal version of pinning a paper to a cork board. Yeah, exactly. It was... Uh, he he apparently had no idea in his in his conversation with the New York Times had no idea of what it would actually cost. Uh huh. So Krasnik was actually twinned with a French town. Yep. And uh, France, as a whole country, was like none of our towns are going to be twinned with official gay free zone towns in Poland because we don't want to be associated with that kind of homophobia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're twinned in Europe, you get a bucket load of EU money (laughs) as part of of that tourism thing. So it's millions of dollars is was available, um, you know, from it. But it's not just that they had they had lined up a lot of money from Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, about 10 million US from Norway, who is going to help fund the developmental projects. We're talking electric buses, you know, really a boon to this little town. And mm-hmm. Norway also was like, no, we're not going to send millions of our taxpayer dollars to a country, a town that is officially stating it has nothing to do with homosexual people. Yeah, yeah. What I found most interesting in the reporting um, about this in the New York Times is that Wilk was commenting how he didn't really feel like it would have much of an effect. And he was quite upset that the uh, lack of foreign funding, as all of these countries want nothing to do with this homophobia, mm-hmm. meant that their youth programming was at risk. And they were particularly concerned about this because youth programs are important as people keep leaving Krasnik. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a, a rural community issue for most of the world, really. Uh, and if they are working towards reversing that, then I, I can see that being a, a thing. But it gets a bit more like, I just what this next detail the New York Times interviewed uh, Kazeri Niaradko a 22-year-old student, a student who considers, you know, who's openly gay from Krasnik, 
And uh, after this statement came out that they were, you know, anti-LGBT, uh, you know, he left. <laughs> so, you know, on the one hand, the mayor of, of Krasnik is upset that no foreign, you know, foreign country wants to put their tax dollars into allowing this town to continue discriminating and mm. also is somehow bemused by the fact that young folks don't want to hang around in a town that has officially stated it's anti-LGBT. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is, it, it's kind of interesting. Like, I I understand to a small degree, at least uh, on paper, where, where they're coming from. Just this idea that a lot of people in Poland don't view themselves as having a history of LGBT identities or LGBT people within their culture, which obviously they did because, you know, everyone's everywhere. Um, and they want to retain their identity, especially during a period where, like, you know, uh, borders between areas are sort of slowly fading away and cultures are mixing a lot more and they're very afraid of, of losing their cultural identity. But then you look at, I always come back to Japan, like Japan has found a way forward to like retain their Japanese identity while integrating into the global market, while, you know, engaging in modernity, while still at the same time, keeping that sort of classical Japanese-ness to them. And I think they're a really good example of how you can do this. Like, so if Poland were to say like, we don't have any traditional spaces for this. We're not just going to take the global community's language because that's not how we work. We want to develop our own Polish version of it. And by the way, bear with us. This is going to take a couple generations. I would understand that. I would actually be like, you know what? Good for you. You're, you're still retaining your traditional culture, your, your, your identity, your language, uh, and trying to integrate in your own way. But this is absolutely not what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that whole spiel of mine. I mean, there are cultures that are doing that, that there's places in South America that are trying to, to work through that. Like Brazil is kind of famous for that, trying to work through how do we retain our Brazilian identity, which is traditionally Catholic, while integrating, you know, LGBT identities into Brazilian modernity. And they're, they're, it's taking a while. It's taking a couple generations, but they're working towards it. And every so often they make mistakes, but I have a lot of sympathy for them. You know, they're, they're trying to, trying to find the best path forward. And I, I think that is a much better way than Poland, which is just, they're, they're <laughs> dropping the ball. This, and I actually also read a, a, the, towards the end of that New York Times article, which I did read, um, there was a, one of the locals was like, I don't care if the EU funding gets yanked, I'd rather eat potatoes and uh, live in poverty than acquiesce to, to foreign uh, pressure, which, is kind of telling. I mean, some of that's homophobia and some of that is just like stubbornness of trying to re remain Polish. And I think somebody really needs to speak to them about splitting the difference and finding a way forward of like integrating into modern Europe. You can retain your Polish identity. You just gotta let this one go, buddy. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's interesting. The mayor of, of Krasnik and one councillor seems to have agreed that uh, this is no longer, it, it, the mayor is unequivocal, that this motion needs to be repealed. But <laughs> <Okay, good. laughs> his unequivocalness is because it is financially damaging to the town. Like, there is no remorse, there is no mea culpa, no yeah. change of mind about the damage it does to young LGBT youth, mm -hmm. none of that. He is just upset that Norway and France is pulling money. 
And you know what I mean? And I think that's that's reprehensible. You know what I mean? It's, it's on the one hand good that he's had a you know a, a moment of clarity and realized how realized how foolish this motion is. But, but the has... fact that he but he hasn't, he's just realized yeah. that it's too damaging. I don't know. There are a number of municipalities in Poland who have reversed their anti-LGBT statuses. Um, mm. mainly because the rest of Europe was like, that's frankly unacceptable. Um, but we'll see. Poland has, I don't know, it's, it's there's a, a, a currently a wave of right-wing popularism going on in the country, which further complicates matters. But, uh, you know, if I was Norway or France or Britain or any taxpayer in the EU, mm. uh, I would be quite concerned about where my tax dollars are going to and uh, whether or not the place they're going to is actively trying to discriminate against LGBT folks. I wonder what Lithuania's approach to all this is. Like context being that like Lithuania and Poland together used to have, uh, for a brief period anyway, the world's largest empire. The like, it's, it's amazing how many people know about the, the Lithuanian Polish empire, but it, it spanned totally across the continent, cut the continent in half. And Lithuania these days, from what I understand, is largely like, oh, we're not with them anymore. But I'd like to see if there's any official word on this. Sex marriage. Oh. So this is a, I mean, constitutional amendments are not easily adjusted or removed. Mm. Um, so this further cements Russia's uh, ongoing anti-LGBT stance. Yeah. Um, you know, in Russia, they have, there is a powerful lobby and, they, and a lot of deference given to the Russian Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a significant part in pushing for this ban, this constitutional ban. So yeah, well, they voted on it earlier in the year in a referendum in January. This is the same referendum that has now allowed uh, Russia, uh, Putin to continue serving, um, having scrapped the age limit or the term limit, I forget which one it is. Um, but yeah, so it's not great times in Russia. And there was also somebody recently attacked in Uzbekistan. So Eastern Europe as a whole is a bit of a bit of a uh, question mark. Mm-hmm. Well, we're playing out with a new kind of outlaw by Doje, the singing shaman's band. I, I, Dojan, sorry, the singing shaman's band. And uh, so Doje, the singing shaman's band. I have to edit this. <laughs> We're playing out with Doge and the Singing Shaman Band with the track, A New Kind of Outline. It's the title track from the album of the same name. I really like this. It's sort of progressive country. Um, I thought it was a fantastic uh, um, piece of music. So we'll be playing out with that. I have been Luke Smith. And I have been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I'm a new kind of outline. Can you see past the burden boys? Cause I'm a new kind of outlaw I am wearing no daisy dukes My fro's to the roof And I ain't here to look cute I'm a new kind of outlaw So no mainstream radio When you're a new kind of outlaw Like me, they ain't feeling your black queer flow My ass is fat, it's here. Hey.
country music, what you gonna Standards for our girl Mickey Only just to be against an outlaw 